Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. How are you doing, Eric? You doing good? I'm good. Brain catching up? I'm good, David. Yeah, I, is it the delay okay. that's bothering you a little bit? It is. It is. Yeah, I, I can like see. It. I, it took you I a second to I, catch up there, didn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> Today we are joined by our very special guest, Freddie. How are you doing, Freddie? I'm blessed. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You, you sound great. All right, great. No, I'm blessed, man. God is good. I woke up breathing. Another day clean and sober. I got nothing to complain about. I hear you. Awesome. So where are you from, Freddie? I am a Western PA kid. Oh. Nice. Whereabouts, yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, the Pittsburgh area. I'm a Western Pennsylvania child. All right. I dig it. Are you Steelers uh, fan? So when were you Hold first on. In- Steelers fan? No. Yep. So, okay. No, so I'm actually, um, to make it a little bit more narrower, I'm from out Beaver County, and the reason that I am a diehard Packer fan is because Brett, Brett Farr, as we know, mm-hmm. um, has been in, is sober now, I think almost 25 years, mm-hmm. and he was the first person, celebrity that I saw, because my mom's in recovery, which I'll get into, but he was the first person I saw that was a celebrity. And because he was like that, I said to my mom, I said, Mom, he's like you. That's how I decided to be a Packer fan. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, so I've been a Packer fan since fifth grade. Um, and when I say Packer fan, I'm talking about down to like socks, hat, everything. I would have the sheets, but my wife said no. <laughs> I hear you. Before, yeah, before before the Ravens came to town, I was actually a Packers fan as well. And I actually had my first Packers jersey. Uh, on me right now so yeah oh, I, I hear you bro <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when were you first introduced to recovery fifth grade um, no actually third grade uh, my mom by the grace of God went to treatment one time for five days and she will self celebrate 26 years in September oh, nice. um, awesome man yeah she's a miracle and on top of that she worked in the field so I was going to meetings when I was in third grade nice and how long have you been clean? Uh, four years. Unlike my mother, I went to 17 treatments in 20 sites. A little different. Hey, whatever it takes, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. We, we, I, get, we, we get there eventually. Absolutely. And it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Um, yeah, my, my sobriety date is June 21st, 2016. And by God's grace and mercy and with good help, support, and the whole nine, I'll have four years coming up on Father's Day. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations. And with all that out of the way, we're going to, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away. All right. Um, first of all, let me just say, um, in the highest possible regards, how humbling it is to even sit here and tell you my journey, my experience, strength, and hope. I find it phenomenal that two men like yourself have decided that your voices are so important and you can save souls and you are, you will. And I'm humbled to be a part of your journey, and I thank you for what you're doing. And I hope that more people look at your journey and see what you're doing and how well you can do and, and what you can do if you put your mind and energy to it. So that's first. Um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so my name's Freddie. Um, you know, I, I was sitting here thinking tonight night before I even got on this podcast how far I've come. You know, it's funny, like, I, I grew up, um, I'm from Beaver County, small area, small town. Um, and my mother, you know, I knew she drank, 
it wasn't until one time I, I came down the steps and she uh, was watching Kristen television drinking. And I mm-hmm. kind of knew that was wrong. And she said, I'm afraid I'm trying to get sober. And when you're in third grade, that type of verbiage, I mean, I, I didn't even know what that verbiage meant to her. Oh, but anyway, um, she said that, and I understand. So anyway, long story short, she goes to rehab one time for five days. She came home. When she walked out that door, I remember hugging her. It was like the best hug I've ever gotten from her. And um, she came home. She said, Freddie, things are going to be different. And I believe that was the start of my life because what happened is, and it's important that I explain this part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Going to meetings in third grade, when I tell people that, they think that I just went to the meetings. But let me explain. I'm talking about, like, in school when people would say, do you want to hang out tonight? What are you doing? And I would say, happily, I'm going to my mom's home group. Like when I would tell other kids, like I'm going to an AA conference, I'm excited. Like when I would go to school with AA and NA shirts on and the teacher would call my mother and say, you can't send him to school like this. It was a a fabric of my DNA growing up. I'm talking about like children coming to my house and they go home and I tell them, like I ask them when they're at my house, instead of playing Sega, you want to read the AA book? And they're looking at me crazy. Right. And they go home and, and they tell their parents that and their parents are like, you can't hang out over there no more because Freddie's mom's alcoholic. Mm. So uh. and on top of that, she went to um, she was in and out of um, mental institutions. She was at a, a few of them because she struggled with bipolar. So mm-hmm. I grew up visiting mental homes. I grew up, uh, you know, it, it, dealing with recovery. So my childhood wasn't like most childhood, especially where I lived at. So it's mm-hmm. important that I t- tell that part because it gave me wisdom beyond my years. And mm-hmm. I remember being in meetings and like, there's, we'll be at the table and there's four of us, five of us, and not all, but some would go open and open the book and they would ask me to read too. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I, I it, it just, it enhanced my knowledge of this program way before I ever set real eyesight on it. That mm-hmm. being said, um, I, growing up, because my mom and my dad split due to drugs and alcohol, and my granddad stepped in and raised me. So, like, I was raised real old school. So mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in a household where alcohol and drugs were were in play. I, I, and my granddad was a, crick, it was a strict Baptist and a Christian. So, like, I grew up with structure. Um, so mm-hmm. the, uh, the things that a lot of the kids got into, I didn't get into because the consequence of me getting in trouble was too high. So, yeah. I mean, I, I drank on a weekend, smoked some weed, you know, played mad, and I was, I was that type of kid, right? Yeah. Um, and then, diehard sports nut, I remember getting beaten because my mom told me to uh, turn the Duke game off because the national championship was always at 8 o'clock and my bedtime was in. She'd tell me to turn it off, I wouldn't, and then you know what happened. Um, yeah. So that's how important sports was to me. Uh, fast forward, let me, and let me say this too. So, I'd say, everybody asked me, what did you go to rehab for? And, and let me be very clear. Addiction mm-hmm. is a brain disorder. I checked in rehab for more. Let me explain why. The first thing I ever got high off of was my asthma inhaler at eight. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom bringing my asthma inhaler home. Said, Freddie, right, you got to take this. You got asthma. She gave it to me. Ventolin Banthrop. I shook it up. Shot it. I was like, ooh, I like that shit. She leaves the room, and like a good addict I'd be, I forgot how to get high. 
Well, I started getting high off that for three, four months, and I got high so high one day I fell on steps and cracked my chin open. Right? Ooh. So we get to the hospital, and my mom's worried. She don't know what the hell's wrong. And the doctor, after they go on the test, they put her out that I was abusing my inhaler. Right then, my mom knew was an addict. Fast forward, the first time I ever ate a blow pop, I liked them so much, I took my lunch money, went to the store, bought a whole case, ate them, broke out, she had to take me to the hospital, get shot. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I remember my, my mother, like, having to hide the Captain Crunch because I would eat so much, I broke out. I remember, yeah. like, everything that I touched, it went extreme. To the point where when I had two years sober, I had eaten so much ice cream that my cholesterol shot up to the point where the doctor told me if I didn't stop, I was going to have a stroke. So, I have a brain it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't know how to stop. I always tell people addiction is like this. You take person with not addiction, a person with addiction. The person that doesn't have addiction, they eat a couple Oreos, they like them. The person with addiction, they eat so many Oreos, they end up homeless. That's me. <laughs> and, and, yep. and, I, and I have accepted that, and I'm okay with that. So my life today is built on balance, right? So I end up, because I'm unhealthy, what do I do? I attract unhealthy people. So I end up um, in a negative, horrible relationship. And I'm not mad at her because I can't blame her for what I allow her to get away with with me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I step into her life. I help raise her children. Uh, her brother dies from drug overdose. We get custody of those two. So for 10 years, I'm a stay-at-home dad. But let me make this clear. So I used to think being a good parent was based off what you look like. See, I thought I was being a good parent because they had Jordans, they had, you know, uh, phones, we took them up and down the East Coast and we did things with them. I thought parenting was about how well you take care of them. I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was about how well you take care of their soul. But see, the reality of it is, when I entered with, when I entered in a relationship with her, she thought that she was getting a good spiritual, healthy man. She had no idea that she was getting an irresponsible, uh, 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 untreated mental illness, untreated alcoholism, untreated addiction, crazy terrorist in her home. And that's what I was. Addiction took me to places. And listen, I was one of the people, right? I go to rehab because, you know, I I went to like, I don't know, like four rehabs when I was with her. And I was going there and they would tell me, you know, Frank, we advise that, like, you do A, B, C, D, and F, and I would leave and say, no, I can't do that, I love her, we got children, da, da, da. And it's funny when I look back that I always used to laugh. If you shot dope in your neck, I would laugh at you. Like, if you shamed yourself, man or woman, I would laugh at you. And it's funny because some of them things that I laughed at, I ended up doing. And that's how I know addiction is a powerful thing because it will have me do things against my moral code. Right. Mm-hmm. So I end up um, put my hands on her in front of the children because she mm-hmm. said the relationship was over. And see, I, I, I don't accept that. Right. Because I'm an mm-hmm. addict and the core of this disease is self-centeredness. So it ends when I say so. Mm-hmm. But I remember, Brand, like when I remember, right, like when she said it was over. Like, let me reverse this back. I remember when my addiction got to the point where I ended up leaving them children in the house by themselves to get one more. Right. Right? And telling myself on the way to get one more that they better not move because it's nap time. Um, and, and, and they got tablets and phones. Like, just totally spiritually sick. I remember, yeah. like, her, t- her telling me it's over, and I put my hands on her in front of the children. Now, if you know anything about me, 
It's against every moral fiber in my body to put my hands on a woman. I came from a woman, a single parent mother that worked in recovery, who was a mm -hmm. person in recovery. But about that next one, I will. Right? So, like, mm. I remember doing that. And I go to jail, as I should, and I move out Philadelphia. Yeah. Right? And let me tell you, like, Philly was good to me. I ended up working at this um, homeless shelter, right? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm teaching men how to read and write, right? Like, I'm, I'm helping homeless men transition into the workforce, get jobs, all that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm at the church playing drums, right? Get my own little apartment, wheel, like, all this, right? Car, and, and, and you know when you start getting cars and clothes and all that, here come them unspiritual women, right? And oh, yeah. I remember getting on the phone with my mother, right? <clears throat> what, Freddie? Yo, Ma, I'm out Philly. I'm doing good, man. I got money. Yeah, me here all wavy, smelling good. I'm on my way to the cleaners right now. I told you it wasn't alcohol. I told you my ex was shot out. It was her, man. I'm out here doing my thing. And I'll never forget, she said, Freddie, you can dress a pig up all you want. He's still a pig. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. And it's funny, she was right, because I ended up, what took me, that's what I learned about me, and I want to make this clear. Money was the deodorant for the stench of my soul. Let me explain. See, see, money was the ultimate makeup for all the mess going on. Because, see, with money, it attracted the type of people I wanted. Because I'm a type of person, right, when I walk into a room where I used to be, that I hang out with whoever is accepted. I might not even believe what you believe, but I have to hang around you because I'm not good enough to stand on my own stature. So whatever you do, whatever you like, I hang with you. It's like being at high school at the cool table. Right? Like, yep. I, I, I was 30 years old, but I had the brain, I was physically 30, but I had the brain of a 15-year-old. So, I end up, this time, um, in this really god-awful uh, Kirk Broad. It was, oh, my, I'm, let, me, let me put it like this. There's some rehabs that, unfortunately, the funding and, and the environment and, and the culture of it has gotten bad. So, like, they don't get the same thing that the Betty Fords get and the privately funded places get. Um, yeah. and so, let's just say that this wasn't the Hilton, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm on and I'm on a fifth floor. Now, mind you, I've been to, like, 20, like, 17 rehabs. Um, and, and let me back this up. So, when they found me, what it took for me, I learned something. I, I, I was able to attain anything, but I never maintained it because it was always built on trash. Right. So I end up, I end up downtown homeless dumpster diving, begging for change. I remember waking up next to the dumpster and the mice running over me. I remember like some lady spitting on me, throwing money at me. I remember like the lady putting the donuts on top of the dumpster and I got money in my pocket to eat, but I'm telling myself I got to get one more. So them, them donuts on top of that dumpster ain't that bad. Like I remember that. Right. And I tell my wife to this day, like, some days I can still smell that dumpster. That's why I can't stop working hard. Right? Like, it's that deep. So, uh, um, I end up in Kirkbride. And, and, and let me explain. So, like, where I live at in Pennsylvania, I live in Philadelphia, they give you a list. Like, I have uh, state insurance. That's for people who are extremely poor. So, I got I have state insurance, right? So, like, they give you a list to rehab the call. So, when I call the rehabs, like, good addict I'd be, I call, first time question is, y'all got females? Uh, what's the visitor you're hitting for? Uh, Y'all got phones, the phones jump. Like, cause, see, I don't go to rehab to get well. I go to mm -hmm. rehab to
to read up because mm-hmm. if I got to go in there and do work, that's going to require me looking at myself. And I don't want to look at myself because looking at myself requires work and I don't like to do work. I like things to come easy, softer way, period. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, the lady says, Freddie, we called everybody to have. None of them would take me. Some of them want my psych history. Nobody had a bed, nothing. She comes in the room. I'll never forget the night before. She said, Freddie, we caught everywhere. We can't get you in nowhere. I'm going to have to send you to this horrible uh, homeless shower. I don't want to do that. We need a miracle. And I don't know what it was, but God just put in me. He said, Freddie, don't you worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. And I told her, I said, listen, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. Well, the next morning she comes in crying. She said, who's your favorite counselor? She'll be talking about. She's like, living room called. They got a bed. Now, let me be very clear about this. They did not accept my insurance. I ended up staying 78 days. To this day, I don't know who paid. I don't know who got in. Literally, God put his hand. I choose God to be my higher power. Literally, God put his hand in that computer and got me paid for 78 days in treatment. <laughs> I go to treatment. This time when I get to treatment, normally I have what they call a scumbag kit. Right? I, I got Jordans. I got a deck of cards. I got a cell phone to sneak in. Uh, probably, you know, I, I got all that stuff because, see, when I go in there, I got a routine. Right, because I gotta attract, I gotta get out of myself so that I can have fun. Cause I, I, I ain't trying to do none of this other shit they talking about. So mm-hmm. I get in the basement, and I'll never forget Brother Harold says to me, Freddie, uh, we're picking out clothes, cause this time when I got treatment, I ain't even had no shoes. Right? So we get the treatment, and uh, I'm picking out clothes, and I always remember this, man, I get emotional. Like, he said, um, you wanna pick out underwear? And I looked at him, I said, excuse me? But then it hit me. I'm in the basement of a treatment facility and I'm going through the underwear and I'm picking out the ones that aren't stained. Mm-hmm. Freddie, are you done or do you want to fight this beast again? And we're all different. We're all different. I don't know what it was, but I just knew growing up, I didn't come from that. My mom worked very hard to provide me with the very best of things. I never went without. And I don't know what it was, what was so humbling about that moment, but I told myself, I'm done. So this kind of treatment, instead of hanging out with the girls, taking inventory, telling everybody what to do, instead of like sitting in the front or the back, because it don't matter if I'm not paying attention, I'm not paying attention. Instead of like, you know, having sex and rehab, because I will go there, I do that. Instead of like, you know, um, doing everything I ain't supposed to do, I was in my room every night reading my AA book. I was in my room every night reading my NA book. They couldn't give me enough pack of work. I'm writing out a plan on what I want to do. Then God put it in me, start a prayer group. I started a prayer group. We started, we started with three people before I left, 34 people, staff included. They still have that in their programming today. And what I learned in there was is that the work starts every day my eyes open. It doesn't start when I leave treatment. What I learned in there was, and listen, we're addicts, right? So you know what I heard. He wasn't doing that on the street. Sounds good. I had to learn when they throw mud, you throw fruit. I had to learn and get a skin for success. I had to learn, mm-hmm. like, Okay, like, Freddie, if you're going to be a person in recovery, there's this thing called integrity. So if you're running a prayer group, if you're talking Gucci in these meetings, when you leave behind closed doors, you have to live and lead that same way. Because what are you doing having a program like that? And and you know what's funny? I now have a motivational speaking company, and I hold assemblies talking to kids. Everything that I was doing in there taught me that it's not the money that comes. I had to learn to love the labor more than the fruit because the fruit will come, but it's the journey that's more important. And that's what that place taught me, man. I left there, and I'm going to be real honest. 
Man, I ain't looked back since. Let me tell you how good God has been. First and foremost, by God's grace and mercy, I will graduate in May. I'm a 3.6 GPA national scholar by Capicola. I mean, Coca-Cola. I received, I was selected for all state PA academic team, which means I will receive a full ride paid tuition to finish my bachelor's at Westchester University. Number two, by God's grace and mercy, I've received 10 scholarships since I've been at this community college. Number three, by God's grace and mercy, I, be, I have a motivational speaking company, which I travel the country and it specializes in mental health and addiction. I literally, by God's grace and mercy, get paid to talk to college student bodies and high schools on my story on mental health and on addiction. Right, like by God's grace and mercy, because I put in work and I and I put the right people around me. I'm, I'm I've been published in, in, in national magazines. I've been um, I was published in a collegiate recovery magazine. Um, I'm a mentor in safe collegiate recovery. Um, I, I was able to travel to five different cities in six weeks last year, speaking in conferences. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on a policy, which is a collegiate model state recovery act, which were Make we're writing the, the 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 legislation to make it so that every high school and every college in the country will have to have a program of recovery. We're talking about legacy stuff now, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're not talking about a matter of ten years. We're not talking about a matter of fifteen years because you know there's this stigma where you can only reach these heights within a certain time frame. Bullshit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. And and, and 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 let me explain. Those are the physical gifts. And what I've learned is those physical gifts are just cherries because the real fruit of this is the fact that I love myself again. The mm-hmm. real fruit of this is that I have a relationship with God. The real fruit of this is that the woman I'm with has five years by the grace of God. She's an RN in the medical field. She's now a parent to the point where she used to tell me when she first got clean, her kids weren't even calling her mother, and now they call her mom. They tell her they mm-hmm. love her. Right, I'm talking about like us being together and like us forming a household where I walk into this household and it's a hot mess, and now I can tell you it ain't no hot mess. Right, I'm talking yeah. about like this program has been so good to me that like we had to make decisions on putting our, our son out right because he wasn't in a good place, and now by the grace of God, he's healthy, taking his medication, and has made some moves in his life, telling his mom he loves her. Right, like I'm, I'm talking about like you know, being able to step into these children's lives and be allowed where like my daughter will call me dad and I've been able to take her to do things and, and been like, I'm talking about like change. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and the blessing of it is, is that it taught me, man, if you just put in some work and listen, my, my program looks like this. Number one, I grew up in this. So I thought, I, let me break this. So eight months, I had eight months sober. I called my mother. I say, Mom, you should see my fourth step. It's unbelievable. Man, uh-huh. I, I wrote it right. I'm telling people how to write it. I'm in meetings telling people what to do. No, you do this, da 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 I'll never forget. She said, Freddie, don't you ever tell me about the steps you're writing. Tell me about the steps you're living. Mm-hmm. If I want to know how good your recovery is, I'll call the woman and ask her. I remember when I had a therapist with a year my therapist said, um, I had had her for like a year, and she said, Freddie, we've been writing on anger for almost a year. What don't mm-hmm. you get that you cannot continue to make those behaviors? And she said to me, mm-hmm. she said, are you in this for the theatrics of what your program can bring you? Are you in this to really change? 
Because if you're in this to really change, it don't matter about your home group. It don't matter about sponsors. It don't matter about your commitments. What should matter yep. is, is that the work you're putting in should show in your life. Yep. And if it ain't showing in your life, that tells me you're not in this for real change. You're in this to be accepted. And that's the same reason you drank. Mm. So I need to ask you, Freddie, what are you really trying to do? Because maybe I ain't the type of therapist for you. I'll never forget that. So my program looks like this, eating healthy. I didn't say perfect. I said progress, working out, right? Um, education. I now, I am a Christian. I never hide that. I never tell nobody mm -hmm. else what to be, but that's what worked for Freddie. Um, mm -hmm. Reading the Bible, daily prayer, my wife, devotions. Um, I, 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 my meetings, listen, I, I, I've been real big on these meetings now, but I've been to N.A., C.A., AA, I don't care what A. I'm the type of person It's not what it does to you. It's, it, it's, it's not the drug you pick. It's what it does to you, right? Like my mm -hmm. wife, um, she's an OA person, um, but she does NA heavy. Um, that's what works for her. Um, I, I, I've, I've learned, like, I said that I wanted a well-rounded circle. So, like, it's funny that I thought, because of what I saw in my mother that my program had to look a certain way. And what I learned is my journey is good enough. I mm -hmm. am okay. And I've had to learn that like nobody owns the culture of recovery. We are in mm -hmm. the worst epidemic in the history of this country. I just don't want nobody to die. Yep. And my best friend passed away and another girl was a good friend of mine. I spoke at his funeral and his dad hugged me on the way out and he said to me, Freddie, thank you. I said, what are you thanking me for? He said, you, you sent my son home. When I left that funeral, I said, my recovery can never be the same. And it hasn't. I have completely changed the course of my life. Mm. I did it through the help of God. God, everybody says, why do you always say, God, you have to make your decision? Number one, there wouldn't be no decisions to make if God would have let me die in that alleyway when I should have. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that was the reason I survived. And after surviving this time, I put in a book and I'm seeing fruits that I would have never. I mean, my life is in a whole different trajectory. And I'll tell you, I've had to learn healthy people are not attracted to unhealthy people. My circle. Mm -hmm as I've gotten successful, has gotten smaller. But I'm okay with that because it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't tell you like how blessed I am. I, I wanna say this real quick and be done. Um, so with this, with this coronavirus going on, right, in the current state we're in, mm -hmm. what I've learned is I'm, I'm blessed to be a leader, right? And I, 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 I remember my mom saying it to me. She said, Freddie, if you're going to speak for a living, let me, let me just help you out here. This is a different path. What that means is you have no choice but to do work on yourself because whatever defects and behaviors you have, they're going to come out when you speak. And you're now going to be looked upon as a leader of this generation of young men. And it is up to you with that torch that you're carrying to make sure that whatever you speak out your lips, it better be your footwork. So I advise you to keep a circle of men that, 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 that have the life you want, a circle of women that have the life you want, and to keep your household tight. Because if not, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself in a very uncompromising position. 
and she's white. What I finally realized for me is that I don't want to have years in sobriety and I'm claiming to be somebody and I'm not. I don't want to be looked back years from now because history's being written, right? Like, like, and, and, and I'm big on legacy. My first speech is, what is your legacy? I don't want to be a person that I look up and I'm 80 and I regret. That's mm-hmm. what I'm most scared of in yep. life. I'm scared of regret oh, yeah. because I don't want to say I should have. And I don't want to be one of these people that's not helping us get out of this epidemic. I want to be part of that change that we look back 60, 80, 100 years from now, we're all long and gone, that was a part of the solution of why the world got better. And honestly, I think that that is my job as a person with years of sobriety because the reality of it is, who else these kids got to look up to? Mm-hmm. We've been blessed with all these years. It's up to me to make sure I carry that. So... That's me. That's my story. All right. Cool, man. man that, was, that was fantastic. Um, Eric, you, uh, you start. All right. Um, so you, you described something that I'm, I'm actually kind of familiar with that feeling of where you're cutting out. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, you're, I, uh, my, my cat is, uh, trying to climb on the the equipment right now, but you said something like a few, like, uh, when you were talking about treatment and how you were going into treatment and it was kind of just for you to re up. Um, and I kind I kind of know what you're talking about there with, you know, where you become, where treatment is just, you're, you're, you've become institutionalized. And you're almost yes. more comfortable being in a treatment center than you, you don't look at treatment as really a way to get better. You look at it more as like a vacation or a way to like recharge so you can go back out there and do what you do. But yeah. how did you go about retraining your brain? Um, cause you know, you, you described, I guess that moment, right. Where, where you're looking at the underwear and you're like, oh man, this isn't working out. But even after that, you're still, you're still conditioned to think a certain way. How did you retrain your brain to kind of be like, all right, well, you know, I, I don't want to be institutionalized anymore and, you know, go about, you know, changing your life, um, from like, I guess that first one where you're like, okay, yeah. So how did, so I guess essentially how did you change your thinking? Um, that, Mm -hmm. that one time to where it was like, you know, I'm, I mean, I gotta do something different. You know, how did, how did you do that? All right. Um, great question. Um, so this is one of, you know, when when, when you're blessed to be able to tell your story at any platform, you know, unless you have 10 hours, it's almost impossible, you know, to get mm-hmm. everything, um, which is just, that's just life. But there was a conversation with my mother the day I got there. My mom had a Rolodex treatment center, so she couldn't find me. She knew what to call, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I called her, and this one was different. She said, okay. I said, you know, you know the drill. I need $20. I'm going to send me a money order. Da, da, da. She said, Freddie, let, let me be real clear. He said, I hope I didn't get sober to bury you because I will. And, and, and it was just something about 
my mother had given up on her only child that bothered me. And and and, and, I, and I remember walking out of that office. Don't think I'm gonna make it. And, and I remember looking in there, Sue, telling me, Freddie, you have a duty as a son. Like, how unfair is it that your mother busted her ass and got sober and gave your life beyond measure? And 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 you have just decided to be treacherous to the point where you have destroyed children's lives. You have destroyed other people's lives. And basically, this is what you're gonna do. You're, you're gonna die should've been. You're gonna die, uh, had a lot of intelligence, but you know, drugs and alcohol is more important. You're, you, you, because you refuse to grow up and change, you're gonna die. And, I, and I'll tell you another thing that hit me. I knew I wasn't a mistake. Like I, I knew that as I as I as I was in treatment, hold up, man. You mean to tell me that Buzz Aldrin? He is one of the one of the only two human beings. He's one of the first two human beings to ever walk on the moon. He's one of us. Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me George Bush? You mean to tell me Samuel L. Jackson and Venice right here? Hold up, man. You mean to tell me all these people can get sober? I can. What? No, I mm -hmm. I just got angry and I wasn't accepting that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> what can I go with? Which question? All right. Oh, and that, that, um, real quick, can I, can, I, can I add something to that real fast? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, all right. Um, I, one of the things now that I deal with when, I, when I'm next for people, as I tell them, I say, I need you to get a list. I, I need you to get a sheet. And I need you to write down every hour of your day that you woke up. Why do you make me do that, Freddie? Because I want you to see all the time that you're wasting. And the reason I do that is because it bothered me how many years of my life I had wasted when I got clean. So that was another thing that came in. I knew, I thought of it like this. If I could almost kill myself getting high, and I could figure out the greatest schemes and plots in the world, then when I get sober, where's my life going if I put some work in? Mm. So that was another piece to that, that I knew that there was a reason to live because I knew my intelligence getting messed up. What was my intelligence sober? Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, so, like, you, you talked about that, uh, that moment of surrender and, like, mm -hmm. not exactly knowing where or how it happened, but, like, it just happened and then the, your trajectory changed. Um, mm -hmm. And I've heard that throughout um, my recovery from hundreds of addicts um, that remembering that moment, that, that bottom, that gift of desperation, that surrender, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that moment when things changed and remembering that and keeping that close in your mind is important towards long-term recovery. So do you believe that it's important to remember that, that gift of desperation, that bottom, that surrender, and how important is it to you for you to remember it? Another great question. Um, so I look at it like this. Who stops robbing banks if they never get caught? Right? Yep. Like, I'm a firm believer in consequence. I'm a firm believer in that saying, when the pain gets great enough. Look, I'm a type of kid, right? They say you shouldn't be kids with belts. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say this on, like, national public situation. I was a kid that had to have the belt. 
I know Freddie very well. If you told me the stove was hot, my hand had to go on it, I had to get burnt, and then I always understood that that's just how I was made. So yep. I, I'm a type of person where it was going to have to, I have to have in the back of my mind, if you drink this beer, you will steal from your wife, you will hurt children, and you will be an absolute scumbag. Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Because, it because if you tell me that I can drink that beer, and I can still have some good stuff. No, nah, that ain't good enough for me. No, I, I, I need consequences. Yes, I believe in that. That's just, I've never seen an addict, in my opinion, from what I've seen in my walk of life, that can stop without pain. Never seen it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Eric, what you got? All right, so I guess um, you were kind of... I know, I know, kind of the the type of. I guess I've seen a lot of kids. Like I, I guess you would call them like you know from the fellowship we came uh, that David and I came up through with um, NA. You, you always see a bunch of kids mm-hmm. who run around, and it is it is kind of ironic how many of how many times I hear in meetings where those kids, you know, like their parents or you know other people's. Um, other people will share and be like, yeah, I was a kid running around in meetings when I was younger. And my dad has like 20 years sober or clean or whatever. I guess, do you, and this, this, I mean, you, you did kind of stay that, you know, you were, uh, you, you know, were of the mindset of more, but mm-hmm. would you say that going to meetings at a young age might've, you know, introduced you to different concepts of like, um, I guess an example of this is kind of, uh, you know, sometimes I'll see kids come in to meetings uh, who, you know, smoked a little bit of weed. Maybe they got um, an alcohol citation, and they, I mean, it's it's kind of like you guys are young, uh, and you're you're kind of get you kind of got in trouble, and that's that's why you're here. It's your first time getting in trouble, mm-hmm. and then seeing those kids, you know, eventually <laughs> shooting heroin. Um, and it's like, well, I know exactly who you're talking about, Eric. I know you do. I know you do. And I'm just, I'm just saying, like, did, did the, did the rooms put any ideas in your head, or did it just give you the idea of there's a place for me to go when I need to go? That's a great question. I wish more people would ask that. So, I'm a firm believer in why are you there, right? So, mm-hmm. like for me. And it's funny you ask that because I'm going to branch off into something else, but let me just stay on that. So for me, when my mom took me, it was because she made it, the, the mindset walking into those meetings was, Freddie, you are to sit here. When I tell you to do something, you do it. These are good people. You may hear some things in here that are wrong and not right. You do not judge them. You just remember, if you do drugs or alcohol, this is what your life will be. So there was a conversation that took place before I walked in there and I was of the utmost respect to all them people so much that if they would have told me getting high is fun, I would have told my mother we'd have never been back there again. It was a situation where it was an accepted, it was like being at a barbecue. It wasn't, it wasn't a situation where I was trying to find out or trying to, if I would have heard anything that would have told me, Hmm, I can go do this it would have been a problem. I never went in there with that eyesight or I never, 
it, it wouldn't have been acceptable for me to even think like that because the situations mm-hmm. I was in in there, the meetings and the people I went to were people that would consistently talk to me like, when they knew me and my mom would have issues, right? Because when you get sober, you become a parent, you set rules, when you set rules, your kids don't want to hear that because they're used to doing what they want to do. So, like, mm-hmm. there was plenty of times I went in there that I was giving my mom an attitude, and somebody in there would pull me to the side and say, listen, man, like, your mom's trying to save you from being us. Like, your mom's trying yeah. to help you. So, they were raising me to not be them. They were trying to teach me on how to do it right. They would give me chores. They'd say, hey, man, you know, you clean up the meat. And I'd be like, okay, can I get a dollar? They'd be like, no, you do this for the next person that's suffering. Like, that's mm-hmm. the type of stuff that they were doing. Like, like I remember, like, having to feed the homeless on Christmases with AA people and not getting any gifts because my mom was telling me it's not the fact that I ain't had the money to get the gifts. It's that you got to learn to take care of other people. So, like, I, I didn't get introduced to what I now see is that people are in there are human and I see other stuff, but point is, I never was, and I was in Alateen too, I need to add that in. Like, I was in Alateen heavy. And so, like, my mom made it a point that the program was going to be embedded in our lives because she believed that it could do more good than harm. And, and honestly, to be real with you, that was the best thing she did. Because if she yeah. wouldn't have introduced it to me at a young age, do you know the foolery I would have fell for when I got sober with some of these people? Mm. Do you know, yeah. like, when you come in, you got low self-esteem. Y'all know this, mm-hmm. right? And there's yep. people, unfortunately, in every walk of life that have power in those rooms and they have years. You will fall for the foolery and the trickery if you don't know better. That's because mm-hmm. your self-esteem is so shot. Of course you're going to look up to people to get respect. Of course you're going to look up to people's lives that seem better. So because she had given me an eyesight and I saw good, I knew when I came in, if I saw him or her doing something that wasn't right, you had to stay away from me because I know that ain't right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I actually sort of have like a, a follow-up question to that. So, like, like you said, you grew up uh, very much like in the thick of uh, the recovery program or recovery community. Mm-hmm. So how difficult was that mentally during your addiction? Like, ha- like how hard was that? Like, what, what, what were the levels of guilt and shame, like, going through your brain, like, being raised better, but, like, still, still, still being an addict? Well, first thing it did, it taught me that it's really a, a real-life illness, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's unarguable. If I'm getting high off my yeah. asthma inhaler at eight years old, I was born like this, period. Right. Number two, it, 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 I never could judge. Like, even if I, and, and I did, because I want to make it clear, I could judge, but deep, deep down, I always knew, okay, like, I know growing up in a program would make you think, like, I looked at alcohol and all that certain way, but I want to be real honest about this. I was more guilty on the Christian tip. Because I was around mm-hmm. my granddad more than my mother. Like, we talk about my mom a lot, but my mom worked real hard, so I was around my granddad more. It was mm-hmm. never acceptable for me to even have a glass of wine and the type of Christianity he lived. So mm-hmm. I always felt guilty even having a beer. I have never, I'm being yeah. wrong. I have never purchased any alcohol. I don't care if I was graduating high school I have, or in a strip club. I don't care if I was buying champagne. I have never bought or any alcohol or any drug and ever not felt guilty, ever. 
mm-hmm. it's that embedded in me that I know it's wrong. So when I was using, what, what that turned into is, okay, mom, I'm gonna show you. It turned into me telling the addiction, uh-huh. I'm stronger than you, I'm gonna beat you, I ain't gotta go to uh-huh. me. And when you, give, when you give that type of person a little bit of money, you give them a little bit of success, shit. I'm gonna prove to you that I'm gonna beat this. What I learned is a dumpster will make you change your mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. What you got, Eric? So, uh, I have, I have a new question. I like these questions. This is cool. I don't get asked this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll like we 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 try to ask the the difficult questions. The shit yeah, most do. people Come don't with. want it. So, so I actually have like a new a new stock question that I want to I want to test out here. Um, Ooh. Ooh. So, <laughs> so you've worked the steps, right, man? Yes, absolutely. About a hundred thousand times. All right, cool. So, um, so we identify our defects, and uh. you know, with uh, you, you first start to look at them in four, and then you truly identify them in six, and you ask for them to be removed in seven. And what, what I want to know is what defect did you struggle with the most? Um, not now, now this is two parts. What defect did you struggle with the most that you wanted to keep? And then which defect did you struggle the most that you really wanted to get rid of, but you couldn't? Oh, all right. The, the, yeah, that's, I mean, them is, them is, doozies. Um, the defect that I definitely struggle with the most is judging. And and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and and I want to put that as expectation mm-hmm. um, because I just, I thought, first of all, I didn't even know people relapsed. Like, let, mm-hmm. let me, because the meetings I went to growing up, my mom, my mom was so smart in that she took me to a Pacific thread of meetings. Mm-hmm. So they were people that had 30, 40, 20, 10 years. I didn't mm-hmm. know till like rehab two what relapse with like maybe three or four what relapse even meant. So, like, I thought when you had ten years, five years, twenty years, that you just acted and carried yourself a certain way. Yep. I, I, I I couldn't believe I was hearing that people went to jail with five years. I couldn't believe people was getting divorced with ten years. I, because the way I looked at it was, you go to treatment, you get sober, happily ever after. I, I didn't know that people steal out of home groups. I didn't know people sleep with newcomers. I didn't know people fight in the rooms and do dirtbag shit. But then somebody mm-hmm. told me, then somebody told me, Freddie, by the grace of God, there go I. Right? Like, Freddie, like, um, you know, throwing stones, living in a glass house. Like, last time I checked, didn't you steal out of piggy banks of your children to go get one more? What are you judging mm-hmm. for? Like, like is it, don't you have enough to worry about? So that was the one that hurt me. And, and, and I got to be honest about that, too. When I first started speaking, right, that, that's a really good question. When I first started speaking, and I was in, you know, I did an assembly, and I was speaking to these student bodies, it used to bother me when these people that work at these colleges that bring speakers in would say to me, how come there ain't more people like you in recovery? How come people... With, with uh, students aren't like you and, and people in those meetings, because they always say those meetings, right? How come they don't come in here and share their stories with the youth? It bothered me that I felt like the people with years 
weren't doing what they were supposed to for the youth. And I had to learn that it is not my job to judge their journey. It is my job to do my best on my journey and pray for them. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things I've had to learn is when I see people with years acting foul, because I know the detriment that's putting on people behind us with housing, with employment, with just sitting in the world. Judgment was something real big. And I'll say nothing about judgment too. I learned when I point one, three point back at me. And like, I had to learn how, when I judge somebody, when I, when somebody says something stupid to me, right, right, well, out the way, I had to learn, well, Freddie, what did they go through before you saw them? Mm-hmm. What was going on in their life that made them act like that? It has, it may have zero percent to do with you at all, but you're automatically taking it personal because you ain't grow enough yet. So I had to learn when somebody says something mean or negative or something I don't like, I only don't like it because I allow myself to. So when I get like that, I just got to pray for them. So judgment mm-hmm. is one. Um, the one, you said the one that I, uh, okay, the, the one that I held on to, and what was the other one? The one, the one that you, uh, you you want to hold on to? Oh, um, so I wish <laughs> I wish I didn't have to forgive people. <clears throat> like I I just I wish like I didn't have to pray for people. Like I wish like because I just feel like it really hurts my heart that. I feel like I have to forgive continual acts of dumb shit. Like continual acts of stupidity and ignorance and and, and, and I have to forgive that. And I don't like doing that because it's easier to stay angry. Forgiveness is a work. It is yeah. hard to deal with somebody that you do not like and yeah. do it with a smile. And yep. do it like you mean it. Like, that is hard to where mm-hmm. I got to deal with family members and I have to deal with people that I know are scumbag and they live wrong. But because I'm not supposed to be judging and because I'm supposed to be better than that, I got to forgive these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. All right. I got to... I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna ask two questions, Eric. Mm-hmm. Just a just a heads up. Cool. The first mm-hmm. one's gonna be a fun. The the first one's gonna be a fun question though. Cool. So, being a uh, Western Pennsylvania guy, but mm-hmm. you're a Packer fan. Mm-hmm. How, how difficult was the Super Bowl versus Green Bay and the Steelers? So the good thing was and I, I true. True story, because I, I, I don't want to highlight none of the mess that, of getting high, because it's never funny. Um, but I was living, as when I was in that bad relationship, and uh, where I lived at at the time was two hours away from my original house where I grew up at. So I wasn't around any Stiller fans. But that day, I ended up um, going across the street to a neighbor's crib, and he happened to be a Stiller fan. So... But I had to be over there because he had the beer, and my girl at the time was tired of me. Because every time I got drunk, I acted like a fool. So she was like, you can drink, but you just can't drink here. And mm-hmm. being an addict like I am, I don't want to spend my money if I ain't got to, so I'm going to go over to his crib. So 
I got tore up in his crib, and I and because I had to be calm, I wasn't. I, I went into the game. I, I like honestly, I'm objective now. If I got an order, like I realized we could lose. Like when we played San Fran, I knew we were gonna get killed. But when I went in that game, I really thought we was gonna win. So it was, it was, it was easy to watch it as far as calling any of my people. I was yeah. so drunk. I was so drunk that like. I had to wait for them to call me because I knew if I called them, they weren't going to answer the phone. Like the people around me that I grew up around sports, they're the type of people that are literally, if they team lose a championship, they call for it the next day. It's that personal. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to tell you a story real quick. So I had a friend that was having a baby. His wife was in labor, and he made her wait until four quarters over to take her to the hospital. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh my, yeah. my my wife would my wife would kill me if I did that. That'd be horrible. Yeah, I mean that's insane. That's not. There's nothing normal yeah, that's that's crazy. about it. That's that's, <laughs> that's 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 going from fan to fanatic, and that's just yeah. That's, you know, we don't we don't need to live like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> all right. Um, so you talked about um, losing like losing people in uh, recovery. And horrible, and also like not judging people and and how their recovery process is going. Mm. And Eric and I are are like we're we're very big on personalized recovery. Like what mm. works for the individual isn't going to work for uh, the masses necessarily. Like what Agreed. what work what works for Freddie isn't what works for David isn't what works for Eric. So Agreed. with that being said. Do you believe that life, like preserving life and and quality of life, should be the goal for all recovery uh, entities, programs, institutions, and not so much um, dogma and necessarily like standardized doing things this way? Should we be able to meet people where they're at um, to better preserve their life and, and give them the best form of recovery that they can have at that moment, whether that be uh, like uh, MAT or, or whatever it is and not necessarily beating them down for not being what we are? That is a phenomenal question. It's one that I wish I got asked a hundred times. Let me Let me thoroughly break this down and where I'm at with that. So I got blessed to meet Greg Williams. He's the person that made um, the movie Anonymous People. Please look that up. Um, and I got blessed to meet him after I got published in the newspaper. We had a long talk. And this is where I'm at with this. I have never. I, 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 it, 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 it baffles me that we are in the worst epidemic ever. And we have a disconnect between the rooms and treatment centers. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't even fathom that our youth are dying at rates that we've never seen. And the people in the best positions to help do not agree on treatment. Mm -hmm. So here, here's the thing, right? Because I've been, I've been blessed to be on both sides of the fence to see the inner workings. Mm -hmm. Number one. I have never been to a funeral and a parent said to me, Freddie, you know, Brian, Brian died, but he, he was trying to work his program and I'm so proud of him that he got through step six. Mm. I've never heard of, I've never heard a parent say to me at a funeral, I'm so proud of his home group. 
I, I've never, I, I've never heard people at a funeral bringing up any of that mess that we think is so damn important. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we came in this to get a better life. And if yep. that means you eat tree bark every day and you get a better life, good for you. Because here's mm-hmm. the deal. There's a brain, there's, there's a billion people in the world. Everybody's mm-hmm. coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions, different beliefs. Of course, it's not going to be the same. And I'm going to be honest. I don't want it to. Let me get even more deeper with y'all. Let me, let me get even more deeper with y'all. This is just my mm-hmm. opinion. Let me make this real clear. This is my opinion. Yeah. What is the damn difference? That dogmatic stuff. What is the difference between what Hitler, Bin Laden, and them cult leaders teach? Think about it. Just think about what I'm saying. They all teach one thing, uniformity, mm-hmm. right? So what would we look like if this new generation that's coming up, we tell them that when you get sober and getting sober means you're no longer trashing your life. If it don't look like this, it don't count. What's the difference? Yep. yep. And, and, and my whole point is, we're supposed to be getting more bees with honey, not losing people. We're already losing people to the epidemic. Yep. Yep. So why would we think that because we did it like A, that they got to do it like A? Last time I checked, the only thing guaranteed in life is change. What are we going to do when, when we get a situation like this? My name is Jazz. I'm transgender. I've been on... Uh, medical-assisted treatment for two years. I was ashamed to raise my hand, but that's my story, and my life got better. She don't count? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. like what, are, what are we going to do when the world's going to be filled with people that are referred to as they or them? Because mm-hmm. our population is what comes from the treatment center, so think about it. We get the population that comes in. A person goes to treatment right now, Johnny. He walks in treatment. What's the first thing I do? Hi, Johnny. Welcome to treatment. Okay, you're a problem with drugs and alcohol. Take this uh, medication. You go to groups. When you go to groups, what do they do? AANA. They throw the book at you. They bring people from those spots. How about, okay, Johnny, let's figure out, and we got our money to do it. And let me be clear about this. Profit over people. Because don't confuse. There are yep. billions of dollars in this. You know how I know that? Purdue Pharma just got hit with the biggest lawsuit ever, billions of dollars. Look that up. And they're doing fine. It's business as usual for them. And they just pissed out a billion dollars. That was in their oh, ashtray. Yeah. So imagine what they're really sitting on, right? Okay. Absolutely. So, so, so Johnny comes in treatment, right? And they tell Johnny, okay, and they thought, of, you know, they make me a thing. How come we're not saying, Johnny, I need your full history. And I need to know the first times you saw signs. Because maybe mm. your issue ain't drugs or alcohol. Maybe you got a problem with food. Maybe mm-hmm. your issue ain't drugs and alcohol. Maybe you have a mental illness that just needs the right medication to get triggered right. But if we keep mm-hmm. throwing everybody in the same boat, and when you leave, you're told to go to these meetings, what about the people that come in these rooms and it just don't work? Yep. And, it, and, it, and they're coming from situations and places where those type of things won't work. So they need yoga. They need mental health. They need therapy. Like, I don't want to look at in dangerous ground when it has to look one way. Because I don't know about about you guys, but Rome's and the the institutions and the places that have lasted for years, the reason that Coca-Cola, Pepsi, McDonald's, uh, Microsoft, the reason them companies keep rolling is they keep adapting. 
They keep changing. They keep understanding the masses. How are we not adapting in an epidemic? And to close, I'll say this with this. When they come out, when the FDA approves a cancer drug and it don't work, they get rid of it. Yeah. Why? Why would we think that we gonna stick one way? Because basically, what we're saying is, whoever comes in here and does it this way, you count. If you don't, you're, we, we don't need you. The last thing we need to be doing in an epidemic is losing people. That's criminal. Yep. That was absolutely perfect. You knocked it out of the park. I I, I couldn't have asked for a, a more thorough, passionate answer. Perfect. What you got there? I never get asked. And I keep it in my heart. Y'all don't know how good that made me feel to be able to vent that because I feel like a lot of times when I'm speaking that, it's like I'm talking in Chinese. No, I, dude, I know, uh, Eric and I know exactly what you mean. Like, And that's something we're really, we're trying to be uh, people asking that question. People need to ask that question, and, and it needs to be asked on a global scale. And that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm proud of podcast recovery that we get to put that question out there and, and let people know that you don't have to do it. Uh, Tom, Dick or Harry's way, do it your way. Like listen to that. Absolutely. Listen to them. Go, go to those people and, and find, find the parts that resonate with you, whether it be spiritually or emotionally or psychologically or physically, like whatever, whatever pieces work for you and benefit your recovery and improve life and keep you alive. Keep those, whether it's from, uh, fellowship A, B or C or wherever it's from. As long as it's positive and moving forward and, and you get the ability to, uh, like you said, adapt and change recovery to your needs and, and then share it with the next person who, again, is going to have a different set of, of the status quo that you grew, than, than you grew up with and you can meet them where they're at, then they, then they truly feel that unconditional love, like, oh, I don't, I don't necessarily have to do this, toe the line this exact way. I can, I can. Uh, there's a little bit of play here. Then they know that that they're in the right place. Facts, and just, to, I mean, that's just the stamp, stamp, stamp. And just to add to that, I, 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 I remember going home. Um, I had like a year and a half or something, and I remember like talking to people and stuff. And like one of the things that hit me as far as that change piece, 80 years old and my life is four blocks. Like all I've ever known was these four blocks because I refuse to adapt. I look around sometimes in the rooms, man, and I, and I don't think that they understand. You've been blessed with a life what about person coming behind you that's going to need housing and employment and a degree or, or work with his hands? Or what about the person behind you that, that need, is going to need doors open that you couldn't open? What about them? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like if we continue on this trajectory, and, I, and I've been blessed. I tra I've been blessed to travel. I've been blessed. And I've met kids from Hawaii to Alaska all over the place. I keep hearing the same thing. I keep hearing the same thing, and and I don't want that. I love when I see MAT with sister recovery meetings. I love the fact my home group right now is Buddhist recovery. I'm a mm -hmm. Christian. I yep. am a Christian, but you know why I go? I take what I need and I leave the rest. Mm. Yep. So That's perfect.
Back to you, Eric. All right. So. Or is it that time? No, no, no. I want, I want to keep going for a second. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. I got to so, Hit me with it. So. <laughs> so uh, I kind of want to. I want to. I want to kind of jump in and you know follow up sort of with uh, you know you just you just kind of said it like you know you're a Christian but you go to a Buddhist meeting. One thing I like mm-hmm. to uh, to look at with you know everybody in this like kind of this belief in individualized personal recovery. Like I just uh, I just read and worked through the Smart Recovery book recently, and I'm gonna be like um, you know rereading the AA book and like you know I I just want to keep growing, keep finding new ways and means to like you know change and you know better myself through different means of recovery, whatever that may be. And, um, what I would like to know is, you know, what, what do you, what does recovery mean to you? And also what does your daily recovery program look like? All right. So number one, what recovery means to me is legacy. I am, I, I'm a person that believes and as we all know, well, no, let me, let me break that out. I'm only getting a hundred years if I get lucky. And the question is going to be, what did I do for other people while I was here? Did I come into this world? Did I make it better? Or did I make it worse? And when I say that, I ain't just saying that as lip service because I know that's a status quo answer. You can look me up. You can check my website. You will see that I literally have made a life's mission to talk about what is your legacy? Why are you here? Because we all got gifts. Recovery means to me that I can have an influence and I can have a purpose to make it better for those coming behind me in recovery, which I know is going to change the world because I know people in recovery have the brains, have the skills, and have the insights to change the fabric of the history of this country. I believe that in my heart. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what recovery means, legacy. The other part of that, um, can you repeat that? Because I, I, I forgot. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Oh, no, man, you're good. <laughs> what, what, is your, what does your daily recovery look like? Yeah, what, oh, what okay. do you, yeah. Right, okay. Okay. All right. So, um, number one, it's change. It changes. Um, it's not the same every day, but here's what I can tell you. I do. I wake up like any other normal human being. Um, my prayer, I used to think my prayer had to be on knees. Then I learned my wife always says that it's not the position of your knees, it's the position of your heart. She always says that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wake up and I'm, in, I, I, you know, God, thank you for another day. Get dressed. And then like I said, I'm in school. Um, and I have like a part-time job and I speak. So like I do the education piece, uh, I do the job piece. Um, but, but let me be clear about this. I'm because I've chosen, you know, because God chose me to allow me to have a company. It requires me like people ask me all the time, like, what's it like to get paid to speak? It's a daily job. So I really walk around, and I'm being real honest about that, about this. I walk around always in my head thinking and searching for ways and things to think about to, 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 to grow and to do stuff. Like, I'm talking like every part of my life that I'm in, they say people have faces. I'm being real honest about this. I'm fretting. Like, when I go to school, they know me as Freddie. They know I'm in recovery. I don't hide none of that. Like, that's what it is. If you don't like me, then get the fuck from around me. Like, everybody knows mm-hmm. that I'm about recovery. So, like, when my conversations with people at school are either mentoring or it's the classes, 
um, when I'm at work, I, I have a lot of people that are older that are in my circle that love me, and we talk about family and life. Um, some nights, a lot of nights, especially during the school year, I'm heavily involved in reading, researching, writing, and doing my homework because I want to be a master at what I'm doing. So how do I become a master? I study other masters, right? Like, I'm real big that I believe in show me your friends, show me your future. So the people I'm around in my daily routine are people that have the things that I want to continue to have. So I, I like, I, 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 I'm embedded to what they do and how they do it. And so we stay in constant contact. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's the best answer for you of, of recovery. It's a lifestyle of being around mm -hmm. healthy people. It's a lifestyle of trying to eat right. It's a lifestyle of having a relationship with my wife and continue to nurse that. And, you know, our daughter living with us and, and living with her and, you know, being on the phone with my mother who has a mental health and, 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 and nursing that, going to therapy once a week. Um, you know, my therapist, I'm doing the steps right now with my therapist because, why not do it with an objective brain that has a double master's in addiction that's been doing it 20 years? I call that intelligent, right? So, like, I, I, I'm, I'm always, I speak at treatment centers. They have me come in under my company. I do a pro bono, but they have me come in and tell my story. I did before that. I, I volunteer and feed the homeless. Like, I have a lifestyle of a helper, of, of a person trying to continue to grow and prosper. Like, that's... And, and I make mistakes all through it. Like, every day I wake up, I sin, I do something stupid. But, like, that's the best answer for you. It's just a lifestyle. It's, it's sometimes I go to meetings. It's, I go to prayer groups. Uh, it, it, I'm always finding myself every hour of the day doing something that's going to better me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Love. And then, of course, I watched Undisputed with Skip and Shannon. It's the best show ever created on TV. It's the funniest show ever in my life. I watch that, and then on Sundays, I watch football all day. That's my two two things I do. <laughs> we we, we got to have our we we got to have our our downtime. It's all right. You I'm can't human. always you can't always be on. Yeah, we're humans, and we can't always be on the grind. Yeah, you yeah, got all the roses. All work, no play, make Jack doll boy. I hear you. All right. All right, Eric, is, is it that time? It's that time, David. It's that time to go to the Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Like, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, you feel like a celebrity when you get on that type of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's my game show, like, it, it's my game show host moment. So oh, uh, I like to keep it that way. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. So uh, this is from Rachel Rowe. And, um, okay. the way this works is, uh, Freddie, you'll, you'll answer this first or, you know, it's a top, this one's a topic. So you'll, you'll talk about this first, then David, then myself, mm -hmm. the topic is very general and it is surrender. Okay. So, uh, you know, mm -hmm. let us, you know, go ahead take it away. Uh, so when I think of surrender, I used to think it meant defeat. Um, but what I've learned is. Everybody plays a fool, right? And everybody, everybody loses. Sometimes you have to lose the battle to win the war. Mm -hmm. um, and when I, the first thing I think about is being in that basement, man, that either this is it, Freddie, or we're going to keep getting worse. Like, mm -hmm. make a choice. Are you built for this? Because if you are, you know, I remember my mom telling me, Freddie, if you're going to get high, that's cool. And then stop going to rehab and lying. Just accept the fact that you get hot, be a man, take what come with it, and keep it moving. Otherwise, get it together. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I, that's what I think. What I think is surrender is understanding that either either I'm built for this fight or I'm not. Simple. Mm. Yeah. Um, when I think of surrender, I really think about the the, the first and first and third step for me personally. Um, like for me personally, like in my, in my first step, like surrender was, was a word. It was, it was, it was something that I said and like, I, I was beginning to internalize it and, and understand what that truly meant. Um, I, I, I started working on my third step, which was the step I, I still like, it, it's my, my favorite step. It's, it's my go-to, um, I, I learned that surrender is along with almost all uh, spiritual principles, they're action words. They are verbs. Surrender is an active uh, choice and action in my life to n- not fall back into those same defects that I held so close and and were my defense mechanisms they were my survival traits they that like they were my go-tos for 14 years of active addiction like that that is what i did i was a liar i was a cheater i was a i was a um a, a, any anything you can name like I, I was a criminal i was a scumbag like i was a low-life person and now i have the the choice and the opportunity um, with like with with faith, with with knowledge of recovery, with um, using those principles of of a higher power or or a higher purpose, um, to be better than that. And like that, mm-hmm. it, I, I think I think it was in the third step that they had you write a list of like, um what are like the characteristics of what a higher power means to you? Like loving, caring, compassionate, understanding, and cause I didn't understand the third step. I'm like, how, how do I turn it over to this? Uh, and so my sponsor made me write that list and he said, do those things. That's it. It's that simple. Stop, stop living in my old behaviors and start living in a new way of life. And that's what that's what surrender is to me. It, it's 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 letting go. It's accepting like what what I am, where where my shortcomings are, but also living in my strengths. Awesome. Cool. Um. So. What about you, Eric? Well, so yeah, I mean, there's a. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, um, but Probably. I I think. I think of two different surrenders um, specifically in my head. Mm. Uh, I think of the surrender to addiction and then the surrender to recovery. Because mm. I, I actually can recall yeah. the moment where I looked at myself in the mirror and accepted that I was an addict and not only accepted that I was mm. an addict, but I was okay with that. And I surrendered to mm-hmm. the knowledge of like, all right, I'm, I'm just a drug addict. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to be. And um, we'll make it work. So I, I remember that. And that, that was like when I was 17. And I remember like thinking like, you know, this is just who I am. And um, I surrendered to the, con- like, to the idea that I'm a drug addict. 
and I'm good with it. Um, and I mean, it took me, let me think, it took me seven years before I surrendered to recovery for the first time. So, I mean, and, and that first, and that surrender to recovery, I mean, it took a lot to even get to the point of being like, you know, I'm ready to really give this a try too, right? It took seven years. And I mean, I wasn't, I, it wasn't like I wasn't going to, you know, taking active steps in the process of recovery during those seven years. Like I'd gone to meetings, I'd gone to treatment centers, I'd gone um, to outpatient and therapists, uh, you know, I, I've done, I did the gamut, but it took seven years before I guess enough was enough and I was willing to surrender to some sort of program, though at at the time I was still skeptical. And even now I am skeptical of certain aspects. And I, I take what I take what I need and I leave the rest behind. But I can surrender to the idea mm-hmm. that, you know, that a program of recovery in whatever way, shape, or form it takes can help me. Um so and I think the surrender to addiction is an important one and, and one that gets forgotten sometimes because I, I, I know I had it and I, I've talked to other people who are like, yeah, I yeah. think I, I think I remember a time where I was like, yeah, I, I, I am a drug addict. I know some people don't ever have that moment, but you know, some people never have the moment where they surrender to recovery either. Um, so that that's my I, I feel like surrender and acceptance are almost they almost happen before the first step happens because if you don't surrender and you don't accept you're not getting to the point where you need to get to to start the first step love that all right that was far all right Freddie this is for you talking to any any of our listeners out there who are struggling, newcomers, old timers, anybody who needs to hear that 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 message of hope, what do you have to say to them? So I used to believe my life got better because I got a better job, better house, more money, better little girlfriend, better clothes, better degree. Mm-hmm. My life got better because I became a better person. And I would just tell anybody that is waking up today on the way to treatment, going to get high. Anybody waking up today in an outpatient, life sucks, living at home, right? Don't, or anybody that is not where they want to be and they're not happy with their life. I would tell them to get your heads up. It's a 60 minute ball game. It is not how you start. It's how you finish. You are a winner. You're not a mistake. You were put here because you have a brain and a skill set that nobody else on this planet has. And we need to see it so that this world can be a better place. The things that you survive if you're a person in recovery, most human beings do not. So the fact that you didn't die tells me that you're here for a purpose. Find out what your purpose is. Love that. Nice. All right. 
And uh, Freddie, where where can uh, people find you? Like um, on the web and you know your your different social media uh, okay. outlets. Yeah, so I've been very blessed. Uh, my website is my company name is I'm the founder and CEO of the Message LLC. It's the Message LLC, and it is a motivational speaking company. Um, and the website is www.themessagellc.com. And you can just Google the message. You'll see my beautiful face. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's how you can find me. When you're going to find me on the web by God's grace and mercy, you're going to see what God has allowed me to do, and that's help people. Awesome. Nice. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Freddie, for joining us this evening. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> um, but before, before we get out here, um, I just want to say, man, and I want to make this clear. This podcast, years from now, we'll look back, and this podcast will be one of the foundational roots of the changes that happen. And what you're doing, I know this because I have a business what you're doing is the new wave. And see, the reality of it is, when your kids or family members are looking back years from now, you'll be able to say that you made a legacy of helping the world get better. You're saving lives. So be very proud and be very thankful. I mean, be very, very, just know that like, you're really touching people. And I know being honest tonight, helped me vet some things I needed to get out. It helped me even look at some more stuff. And honestly, you know, it's such a blessing to meet people that are trying to make the world better. So I'm just thankful I was on her. I'm humbled that my story mattered enough to make your list. So thank you. Yeah, I, I, thank you. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much that means to, to me, to both of us. Um, it, it's that's that's why we do it. Like we don't do it for the thanks and the praise and everything, but it, it really it, it touches my heart, man, and it, it lets me know that we we are doing something right and uh, good. Yeah, y'all winning. Oh. Y'all winning. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening in. Uh, Most importantly, everybody out there, uh, stay safe, stay clean. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, like, share, subscribe. Check out our friend Freddie at themessagellc.com. And I said it once, but I'll say it again. Everybody out there, stay safe, stay clean.